All right, I'm going to introduce Brandon here because nobody knows who he is, right? Brandon is uh, the smartest speaker we have ever had at the Garden Church. Um, a graduate of Yale University, mind you, and uh, been around the world uh, doing relief projects and uh, development projects. You name it, he's been there. He has crazier stories than, I mean, he has stories about being shot up in Iraq or shot at. <laughs> he wasn't quite shot up, thank God. Not the only one in this congregation, by the way. Shot at in Iraq and uh, some just been there. Uh, and he's speaking today on when things fall apart. And, uh, you know, I know Brandon is, is one who has seen uh, communities which have fallen apart and um, can definitely testify to God's goodness on that social level, but also on a very much so on a personal level uh, when, when things all fall apart. So, Brandon, it's a pleasure to have you speak to us this morning. Thank you. Um, I'm just going to do one of those tests, tests. I think I can hear myself. Can everybody hear me? Okay. All good? Okay. Great. Um, yeah. Um, with that introduction, now I don't know what to do. Um, I, I, I put on my pants one leg at a time like everybody else. Um, so just to make that clear. Um, but I just want to thank the worship team. I mean, I, I just was so uplifted by that. So just really, really appreciate that. Um, but um, that was so uplifting, and we're going to kind of take a, kind of take a circuitous route here from um, that uplifting to the reality of what we kind of deal with on a daily basis. Anybody going through some storms here? Oh, yeah, a little. A few of us. Any car breakdowns, car problems? Cars catching on fire, blowing up? Um, roofs that need repair, um, house issues, things like that. Um, we're all plagued by storms, as, as Joel mentioned a little bit this morning. But um, we're going to focus on uh, focus on a bit of uh, John, the book of John, chapters 16 and uh, 15 this morning. But if anybody needs a Bible, um, I think we usually have folks in the back. Uh, I don't see any folks in the back, but if they can hear the sound of my voice. Um, uh, if, if you do have one of the garden Bibles this morning, um, I'm sorry, I have to give you two page numbers, but it's going to be either page 699 or page 772. So uh, I, I'll try to repeat that as I see the Bibles come out. But uh, if anybody need, needs a Bible, just raise your hand and we'll get one of those to you. Um, but let's just start in prayer this morning. Um, I can't do this without God because I am weak and absolutely nothing without Him. So um, let's start in prayer. Lord Jesus, I just, um, I thank you for this time this morning. I thank you for the wonderful blessing of the garden, the freedom to worship you, Lord, without persecution or fear. Um, we just thank you for um, your spirit that's here this morning and at work in us. And uh, even amidst the trials and the storms we're going through, Lord, you care about us. And Lord, let this message this morning be from no one uh, other than you, because you are a perfect God and you are a loving God and you are just and you are kind. And we give you this morning your glory, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, I'm going to start this morning with kind of a few, uh, few stories or, or vignettes. Um, anybody up for some vignettes? Um, I like vignettes, especially with, um, with powdered sugar in the morning for breakfast. Really, really good. Just kidding. Um, so first vignette. His eyes glazed over as he grasped the steering wheel and peered down the expressway. Red taillights swirled together in the urban darkness. Darkness, he thought. Now that's real. I'm digging myself out of a hole. He'd driven to the office countless times at this late hour, but this time, hundreds of dollars of equipment had been destroyed. Equipment which was rented, not owned. He'd been close to bankruptcy twice. 
What would the third time hold? His phone rang, startling him. It never seemed to stop. He gripped the wheel more tightly, and the taillights came back into focus. Vignette number two. She didn't miss waiting tables, but school was no cakewalk either. Her eyelids felt as if they had sandpaper under them. She took a sip of tepid tea and let her eyes casually rest on the textbook. Fine print and figure 2B stared back at her. A ray of fluorescent light glanced off the page, all as if to say, we're not tired, how about you? She appreciated her husband's support, but surviving on one income was also a step of faith. I need a new cup of tea, she thought. Finally, vignette number three. Really, why, why does this stuff happen? Does it have to be this ridiculous? As if being mugged wasn't enough. He'd been tackled to the ground in the middle of a rainstorm, so now he was both bruised and wet, and here he stood at the door of a friend's house, a friend who knew he was coming, but no answer. And it's not like he could call this so-called friend because the offenders took his phone. So now I get to walk back home in the rain, back through the same area where I got mugged, Oh, and I should, I should call my wife, um, but, but I can't. Huh, and she needs a ride home from work. Back into the rain I go. Anybody had these kind of days? I mean, I, I know I have, and honestly, it seems that they've been happening very regularly recently. Um, and I wanted to start off with these kind of stories because I know, I know we can relate because these stories, if you haven't heard them, have actually happened to those of us here in the room today. These are real stories from members of our community that are sitting right here with us today. But one of the many reasons that I believe Christianity is that Christianity keeps it real. Jesus, Jesus really kept it real. Lots of religions keep it surreal in the sense of the afterlife or the, after, uh, the life beyond life, whether it's nirvana or heavenly mansions or our own part of the universe to govern. But Jesus was really real about right now. And let's see what he has to say about right now. And again, we're going to look at John 16 and 15. And if the Bibles are back out, I'm just going to repeat those page numbers, page 699 in one Bible and 772 in the other. So 699 or 772. But looking at John 16:33, Jesus says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. And that's what we focused on in the singing a lot this morning, the peace in Christ, focusing on his holiness and the, tra the tranquility that that gives us because he's overcome the universe. I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. I think about myself hearing that, that message back in the day and I'm like, wow, gee, thanks, man. Guaranteed annoyance, guaranteed pain. Um, you know, this is, this is the kind of guy that, that I want to follow. A guaranteed menu of options such as car trouble, annoying bosses, burdensome debt, exhausting studies, encounters with violence. That's the guy I want to follow. But maybe it is because Jesus kept it real. He met us where we were at. He knows the reality that we face on a daily basis because he is real and his words have always met people where they're at. Whether it was an adulterous woman sitting by a well a guy named Tom who was filled with doubt, a criminal who was truly sorry for what he'd done and asked Jesus for forgiveness, or a guy like me who honestly struggles with worry. Despite the fact that I'm standing up here, I struggle with worry. But let's see what else he says. John 16, says, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace, but that begs the question, I've told you what things, what things has he told us? 
Well, if you look back through chapter 16, you keep on going back in six, chapter 16, you start at the beginning of 16, and 16 starts with chapter 16, verse 1, all this I have told you so that you will not go astray. So again, he's saying all this I have told you. So that leads us back to chapter 15. They're saying, well, what has he told us? What is this that he's telling us that gives us this peace? So if we go back even to chapter 15, we'll just take it back to 15 verses 18, just for the sake of time. Go back to 18. It says in chapter, in, in verse 18, chapter 15, verse 18, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. And I have read that verse time and time and time again, and I thought, man, if the world hates me. And I read through that, that passage, and we'll read that in a second. I've read through that. I'm like, I used to really think that was sort of in the persecution sense. If the world hates me for being a Christian, but I don't know about you, but the number of times that I've really felt hated for being a Christian, hated for other things, yeah. Disliked for other things, absolutely. Hated for being a Christian, not so much. Not in this country, thankfully. But I've read that and thought, how does that really apply? But I was looking at this. It says, if the world hates you, the word world in this case is the Greek word cosmos, which we've all probably heard from Carl Sagan's time or whatever, cosmos which can have a couple of meaning, meanings. This occurs 186 times in the New Testament. It occurs both in a relational sense of the world, in sense of human relationships, and in a physical sense. And here's some places it occurs that you may be familiar with. In Matthew 4, 8, it says, Again, the devil took him, Jesus, to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. So this is sort of the physical, the political sense. He showed him the kingdoms of the world. And then in Matthew 13, 35, so was fulfilled what was spoken through the prophet, I will open my mouth in parables, I will utter things hidden since the creation of the world. This is the created sense, the cosmos, since the creation of the cosmos. If the world hates you, if the cosmos hates you, if it feels like every single thing around you is against you, every created thing, every relational thing, that's the sense we're talking about. John 1:10. he was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the created sense, the world did not recognize him, the relational sense, the human sense. If the world hates you, and there's this sense as we talk about car troubles or house repairs or annoying bosses or broken relationships, if the world hates you, that refers to pretty much everything, the created world, the relational world, all of it together. But honestly, I believe that it's possible that the world can hate us in some sense simply because the physical world is fallen. In the beginning when God created it in Genesis, it was perfect, but it has also fallen. It no longer functions as it's supposed to, whether in the natural sense or the relational sense. So every sermon's supposed to have points, and forgive me because I'm going to be unorthodox. I'm going to have like 4.5 points or something. Um, but sermon point number one is this place is broken. It's messed up. We're not going to stop there. It gets better. But this place is broken. And at some level, for me, a person who worries, the sooner I realize that, the better. Because it is going to continue to be broken. It's broken physically. It's broken relationally. And we can expect the relational world and the physical world to fail us. So we see that in Genesis chapter 3 as well, verses 17 to 18. I just mentioned that a little bit. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground. Remember, this was paradise before. Beautiful trees, flowing rivers, bright sunshine, perfect fruit, that sort of thing. 
But now that sin has entered the world, it is not functioning physically as it should anymore. Our cars, which ultimately come from the physical ground, the physical things, the houses that we live in, they don't work as they should because things are falling. He says, because you listen to your wife, ate from the fruit of the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. Beyond that, in chapter 4 in Genesis, Cain kills his brother Abel. In the, in the chapter right after that, so we've gone from this broken physical world that used to produce perfect fruit, perfect trees, things like that, to producing thistles and thorns, and perfect relationships, Adam and Eve walking in harmony with God, harmony with each other, and now their children killing each other, just a chapter later. But remember, Jesus said in chapter 16, all this I have told you, let's get back to that, all this that I have told you so that you will not fall away, so that you will have peace. So let's get back to that question, what did he tell us? So continuing in John 15, 19, it says, if you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. This is why the world hates you. Remember the words I spoke to you, no servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you as well. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. Now, however, they have no excuse for their sin. These individuals who may persecute us, who may cause us harm, if they have heard and they have rejected then it's saying here, they have no excuse for their sin. He hates me who hates my father as well. If I had not done among them what no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen these miracles, and yet they have hated both me and my father. But this is to fulfill what is written in their law. They hated me without reason. When the counselor comes, and here's the encouraging part, when the counselor comes, whom I will send to you from the father, the spirit of truth who goes out from the father, he will testify about me, and you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. So point two here is that Jesus has already been through this. He's already been through the brokenness. He's been hated. He's been persecuted, and he's telling us right up front. He hasn't even left the world yet. He's telling his disciples and us hundreds of years later, step up to reality, guys. This place is messed up. And I'm telling you that, but I have overcome the world, but it's not going to get better until I come again, but I have given you a way to get through it. You are not without hope by any means. You are in the world, but you're not of the world, and I will give you my spirit. I will give you this counselor. I will give you this helper to help you through these times. So God took the form of a human so that his perfection might heal an imperfect and broken world. It says, since Jesus has been through this, Hebrews actually tells us, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, and yet without sin. And sometimes we think of temptation as if, is it temptation to lust, temptation to greed, temptation to resort to violence, but we can be tempted to other things, becoming cynical, resorting to violence, giving up totally on things, and Jesus has been through that. But point three is, He's beat this racket. He's already beat it on our behalf. And not, it's not simply a matter of learning from him, but accepting him 
and embracing him and inviting him into our lives because he's given us that strength to beat it as well, to get through it. And not only, not only get through it, but to be victorious and to find new life in Christ. So he says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. You will have trouble in this world, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So point four, he has given us ways to cope. He absolutely has given us ways to cope. And this is why there's no room for cynicism in the life of a Christian. There's just not. If you're a, you know, I wouldn't have brought up the Yale thing, but Joel did, so I'll mention it. But when you go to graduate school or someplace like that, there's a lot of darkness, and there's a lot of cynicism, and a lot of intellect and people thinking, you know, I feel like I know so much, and I've learned so much. I'm just, I've read Nietzsche, and I've read philosophy here, and, and, and studied this and this, and, and, and I can have all the arguments and the counter-arguments and put them all together, and I just don't know what to believe, and I just, I'm cynical, I give up on it. I'm going to focus on my own intellect and learn as much as I can, try to put two and two together, but I'm giving up on the God thing. And that's a whole nother discussion, but, there, but if you have embraced Christ, there is no room for cynicism in the life of a Christian because Christ has overcome this and he has given you that opportunity to accept him and to have him live in your heart. He's given us, first of all, in terms of ways to cope, and as you're thinking about the storms you're going through, we are moving toward the end of the sermon, by the way. I know people are hot. Um, He's given us, first of all, his spirit. As you're thinking about these storms that you're navigating, number one, his spirit. John 15, 26 says, When the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. He has given us his spirit. He's given us his word, which we're focusing on this morning, and prayer. Are you spending time in his word? Are you spending time in prayer? One of the most encouraging things I've found is to get a text message from somebody that says, hey, brother, I'm praying for you. Hey, I know that you had this issue going on when I talked to you on Sunday. I'm praying for you on that. And in retrospect, I try to do that for others because it means so much to me. Are you praying for others? Not just praying for them, but letting them know, hey, you're my thoughts. I'm praying for you. So his spirit, his word, prayer, that's three things already. Number four, his people. We're all sitting here together this morning for a reason. Not as isolated human beings, but as a body, as members of each other who are, who are related and united by Christ. Galatians 6.2 says, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Are we carrying each other's burdens this morning? The vignettes that I read at the beginning, I mentioned that they may sound familiar because they may be you, or they may be the person sitting next to you, or a few seats away from you, but I can guarantee you they are stories that come right here from this room, stories that people do not mind sharing, but it's a matter of getting to know each other and bearing those burdens. We are not supposed and not made to walk through this broken place alone. Point five, this is the final point. Um, and it may seem to not fit, but there is no love without free will. I'm gonna repeat that, there's no love without free will. And in a lot of ways, that answers the question of why. Why is this place broken? God has given us these ways to cope, his spirit, his word, his people, prayer, but he's not going to make us take advantage of any of these things. He's not going to force us. God could have made a world that was simply an extension of himself, a perfect place with guaranteed perfect people, but that sort of world is not a world as we know it. It's simply an extension of God. There's no relationship. There's no possibility of anything but God, of anything but perfection, of anything but choosing God in that kind of world without free will. That kind of world is essentially God 
alone, God an extension of himself, but allow the possibility of free will, allow the possibility of not God, of people choosing God or choosing something other than God, then you have real relationship because then it's voluntary. Then you have the possibility of a couple things, something quite ugly, a sinful, screwed-up world, which we're focusing on at some level in this sermon, but on the positive side, back to the enormous victory we have, the possibility of something absolutely beautiful and amazing, which is a voluntary relationship with our Creator, the Creator of the universe, the possibility of love, the possibility because it's given and received voluntarily. Anything other than that is not love at all, and free will allows the possibility of love. It allows the possibility of total destruction, but it allows the possibility of love. And love is never, ever forced. So in terms of these ways to cope, God won't force a single one of them on you. He says he's there, he'll make himself available, and he's glad to meet you there, but he'll never force them. So kind of in summing up here, is it really any wonder that there are books called Knowing God or The Pursuit of God, Desiring God, pursuit of holiness, etc. God's not going to force us out of our worry or out of our hurt or out of our cynicism, but he can and will cure all of these things. All we have to do is reach out to him. He's already made himself available. He's already walked on this earth. He's suffered in our place and demonstrated his love for us. We have the voluntary choice to reach out and say, I would like that. John 1, 9 says, we love because he first loved us. He reached out to us first. He made himself available first in a voluntary relationship. And Revelation 3, 20 says, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. He's not busting down the door. He's not going to force his way into your life. He's not going to beat you down with the Bible. But he's saying, I knock at the door. Here I am. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and I will eat with that person and they with me. Reach out to him, I encourage you. He will meet up with you because he loved us first.